Welcome to the Mount Pisgah Student Life Podcast, where we will talk about all that God is doing right here in our ministry. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 tonight. Um, Last week, we kind of kicked off this series into the new year, uh, and Anna led us through um, a little bit after this where we where we saw the ridiculous story of the the floating hand that wrote on the wall and and David was called in to save everything but Anna's main point last week really kind of boiled down and narrowed down to the fact that God keeps his promises that whether it is a good thing promised or a bad thing promised regardless of what is promised God keeps that promise Today, we're going to go back a little bit, and we're going to look at a story that is probably the most well-known story from the book of Daniel. And for me, the first time I was exposed to this story was through VeggieTales. Anybody watch VeggieTales? Yeah? Listen, Larry Boy was the man. Um, He was great. But in VeggieTales... The king's name was Mr. Nezer, and he actually ran a chocolate bunny factory. Uh, Yeah, you remember the giant chocolate bunnies? And uh, he says, look, we're going to build or we're going to craft or make or whatever this, like, gargantuan huge chocolate bunny, and everyone's going to bow down to the bunny. And so they make it. It's there, and and these three vegetables... um, decided not to bow down to the bunny. So for me, growing up, I, I thought that story was a hilarious because VeggieTales is like just absolute top class viewing. But it also told this story in a way that was so memorable to me because I, I saw that visual and I, I remembered the story of them choosing to not bow down to the giant chocolate bunny. And for so long, that story was my absolute favorite in all of scripture because I, I, I took away the basic meaning of this story, which is there should be nothing bigger in your life than God. Typically, when we hear this message, that's where we go. Because it's true, and this story shows that. As we get into the scripture in just a little bit, there's not going to be a giant chocolate bunny, but the, the same principle applies that through this story, the, the, the basic, the main point of this story is that there should be no one bigger. There should be nothing bigger. There should be nothing in your life that takes the place of God. But there is so much more in here And tonight we're going to look at something a little bit different from it. So to back up into this, there's a king. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. If you can spell that later um, without looking, I'll give you candy or something because it's a a doozy. Um, And he decides, listen, I'm king. Um, I am the most important, the most powerful, the biggest. And so I'm going to make a giant golden idol of myself. And I'm going to make everybody worship it. Chocolate bunny, golden idol, similar thing. And he says, uh, a herald proclaimed, or proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O people and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image of king, or that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace." 
So this is kind of where, where we start this story. There's this giant idol being made. It's of the king. He has said, I am the most powerful. Everybody needs to bow down and worship me because of who I am. And they sent out this guy to say, look, this is your options. Either you bow down or we kill you. One or the other. These are your options. Daniel was given to the king with this group of boys from a very, very young age. He's probably 9 to 11 when he was first given to the king. And in this time, he's kind of working for him. He's around. He's in their household. He kind of fills these different roles. But in this story, we're really focusing on three other kids that had come in in that same group with Daniel. Picking up in verse 8. It says, therefore, at a, at a time, or at the time, the certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So they declared of, or to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every other kind of music, that they shall fall down and worship your golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the king has these people that are going around and kind of keeping tabs on everybody. They want to see and they want to make sure that this decree that has been given out by Nebuchadnezzar is being followed. That what he has told everybody to do is, is being adhered to. And, and they come back and they say, King, you won't believe what these Jews are doing. You've given a very, very clear directive, King Nebuchadnezzar. And there's these three guys that you have brought in, and they are not following your instructions. And you've told us what will happen if we don't. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar being the king, he flies off the handle. He gets super mad. It says he goes into a furious rage and commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought. So he brings them in. And in verse 18, we, we pick up here. He's kind of been questioning them. He's threatening them. And it says, these three guys answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. These three guys, they, they have a very low position. They're kind of in his court, but they're, they're not high up. They're looking at the highest person in the land, the one that has control of everything and definitely control of their lives. And he's asking them, hey, why aren't you going to do this? I have promised that you're going to die. Why won't you just bow down? And their response is, we don't have to tell you that. We don't owe that to you. We don't recognize your authority. And then they continue, it says, if this be so, or sorry, we have no need to answer in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known that you, O king, or to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They look at the king and they say this, look, if, if you want to throw us in there, fine. Our God is bigger than that. And he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, 
we will still not worship the way you're telling us to. We will still not give you what you want because we know that it's wrong. Can you imagine the kind of bravery it took in that moment to say this? He, he is giving them this option. He's saying, look, do something as simple as bow, or you will die in a terrible way. And looking at this king, their response is, look, our God is bigger than you, and he will save us even from that. And even if he doesn't, I have no desire to give you what you're telling me to give you. Really often in our faith, we hear these crazy stories, right? We, we hear people tell us about what God has done. We hear these wild, big stories, and we think there is no way that that really happened. There's no way that God actually did that. There's no way that this person is telling the truth. Or there must be some kind of coincidence that created this, or something else must have happened. And we will do anything we can to rationalize something away from God. We will put all of our energy into giving anything else the credit for what God is doing. But in this story, we see the exact opposite, where these three guys are doing everything they can to only give God the credit. And then it gets crazier from here. As Anna told us last week, we, we've kind of called this whole series power play because we see the unbelievable kind of ridiculous power of God in this. And right now we're about to see this ridiculousness. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was normally heated, usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't remember this part from, from Veggie Tales, do you? The part where he gets so angry, he says, light it up seven times hotter than normal. Throw him in. I want it to be immediate. I want it to have no chance to leave no doubt that they are wrong, that their God is not real, that there is no chance of survival. It is so hot that the men from his army who go and bring them and put them in die from getting too close to the furnace. It's so hot that they can't even get close to it, that they burn just from bringing them there. And still, it says these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in a haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire. And they answered him, and they said, true, O king. And he answers them, and he says, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire like they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Here we see the ridiculous power of God. The ridiculous power of God. This furnace was so hot 
that the men who brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace died from getting too close to it. And still, despite that, they were free in the middle of it. Notice that they're not just in there with the forced person, and that they are unbound. They are free. They're walking around. They are living totally fine. There is something very important there because it shows that not only is it ridiculous how powerful God is in comparison to this fire that killed the men that brought him close, he freed them in the middle of it. That even in something that should have had no chance of them making it through, God not only protected them, but gave them true freedom in the middle of it. God didn't just save them, he gave them everything. So the story goes on from there, and, and we kind of still continue to see this unbelievable, ridiculous power of God. As, as he brings them out, and they get out, and they're, and they're fine, and they're safe, and they talk through everything, we get to the end of this story, and Nebuchadnezzar is so overcome by the understanding of the true power of God through this. He says, I make this decree, any nation or any people, any nation or tongue that speaks against the God, not the gods, he's been saying gods plural all the way up until now, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Through this moment, Nebuchadnezzar was finally able to see the unbelievable power of God. But there's something that happened before it that lets all of this happen. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. God's power is already there, but it doesn't just appear. See, it starts all the way back when Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego tell him who God is. And not only do they tell him who God is, but they tell him what God can do with full belief that he is able to do what they are telling him he can do. And not only do they have full belief that he can do what he's saying, what they're saying he can do, they say even if he doesn't, he is still right. The power of God is so much greater than we give credit for. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our faith has to match that. We ask God for so little because our faith is so little in what he is able to do. We ask God for so little because we don't believe that he is going to show up in the middle of the furnace and not only save us, but free us. Our faith is the thing that mitigates. Our faith is the thing that handcuffs the power of God. He is able to do any of it, all of it. But what are we faithful enough to meet him at? Where is our faith into the power of what God is able to do in our lives? This is still one of my absolute favorite stories in all of scripture. Because it calls us back to that simple truth. Yes, we absolutely should have no gods or nothing bigger in our lives than God. But the all-powerful God, the one who is able to save, to set free, to do any and everything, because his power is limitless, is who we have direct access to. 
And yet we decide when he's capable and when he's not. We decide when we're going to ask for his help. We decide when we're going to give something up to him. We decide these things because we want to feel powerful. We want to feel in control. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no ability to save themselves in that furnace. Their captors burned up from getting close. God is the only one who can do that. They had no way of getting free. God is the only one who can do that. They had no way of turning the king's heart. God is the only one who can do that. And so when we sit in this room and we we think about and we talk about the small places in our life that God is moving, that is incredible. But what about the big places? What about the things we are so unwilling to give to God because we don't think he will do anything with it? We don't think he can do anything with it. We think it's not something we are able to give to him. And he says, look, I took these three men's lives and not only saved them, but set them free. Because we serve the same God. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write those lines down. The power of God is greater then we recognize our faith has to match it. Let's pray. Father God, you are such a good God. Father, you give us these words to read, and we read them as these cool stories that we get to experience and have fun with, but we, we so seldom read them and understand them for the true power that they have and are. God, you have more power than we will ever have, more than we will ever understand. And so, God, as you move in this room, as you move in our lives, as you move in each individual person here, I pray that you move in the way that allows us to be a people who choose to match our faith to your power, who believe that you can do the big thing, who believe that there is nothing too small to give to you, who believe that as we are being thrown in the furnace, not only will you save us, but you will set us free. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.